Thank you. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> Great to be here with you again for the third week in a row now. We've been talking about uh, discipleship, and we'll continue in that uh, today, and then uh, next week try to wrap it all up and bring it together here. It's nice to have my parents here, Marlene and Tom. Uh, they're sitting near the back. They st- thought they'd sit in the back because it was kind of loud for them. So you guys want to ra- ra- wave? There they are. Say hi to them. And um, you ever heard of a guy named Vince Lombardi? Get outside of Green Bay, and that's all people know about Green Bay is Vince Lombardi and the Green Bay Packers. But he, he had the famous saying, when uh, training camp began, he would uh, hold up a football in front of all these guys who played high school, college, you know, they're professional football players, and he would say, this is a football. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> I wonder what that was. And he, and he said, blocking and tackling is what wins championships. If we just get the basics down, we will be successful. And really, that's what this series on discipleship has been all about, is nailing down the basics. You remember a couple weeks ago, we, oops, we introduced this whole subject of uh, discipleship, and uh, we talked about not being content by staying on the periphery. You know, we read in, in, in the Gospels how there were crowds Large crowds followed Jesus. Whenever there was uh, food to be given away or whenever there were miracles to be witnessed, there were large crowds, and there's a lot of uh, followers around town like that today. Whenever there's uh, you know, Rock the Lakes and Franklin Graham and Skillet, you know, I, I was out there last night with the best of them, jumping up and down to songs that I did not have a clue what they were saying, but somehow 15-year-olds do. <laughs> I guess that's the point. But, uh, you know, there's... There's levels of discipleship. There's, there's being a part of the crowd. And then there's, uh, there's the, 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 the inner circle, like we looked at a few weeks ago. We talked about Peter, James, and John. And then even John, who was really probably the closest disciple. And, and I challenged you to, to move into the inner circle, get into the inner briefing room with God. I love the verse in Psalms where it says, Israel, they knew God's deeds. They could see from afar what God would do. But Moses, it says, he knew God's ways. You see the difference between knowing deeds and knowing ways? Knowing the ways of God mean that you are in that inner circle. You, you kind of got the, the inside scoop of what God is saying. And that's available to all of us. That's the good news. All of us, that is, who will say, yes, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't want to just be a part of the crowd. I don't want to just be a cultural Christian like 75% of Americans would say they are a Christian. Not content to be a part of the crowd. I want to press in and be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, which has incredible ramifications. We looked at uh, in verse uh, 26 of Luke chapter 14. This is just by way of review here. Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to love me more than any other love in your life, more than husband or wife, more than parents, more than children, even more than your own life. In fact, Jesus said, if you compare the love you have for me with the other relationships in your life, it's as if you hate those other people. That's how much more our love for Jesus ought to supersede any other relationship. So that's in itself quite a challenge. That's, that's blocking and tackling right there. And then he says in verse 27, and if you want to be my disciple, you've got to carry your cross. You know, it's like, 
we're just starting right off here, you know. Carry your cross, do the will of God. We talked about that, being a crusade. That's dying to yourself, really, being a crusade. And we were at a crusade last night. The whole town of Green Bay, uh, I think the way they had the sound system set up, at least the downtown people knew that Jesus Christ was being exalted in this town. And I said, Lord, make me like that. I don't want to just go to a Franklin Grand Crusade. I want to be a crusade. I want to be the Gary Schneider Evangelistic Association every day of the week. And you put your name in there. And that's what it means to be a disciple. Um, being a reproducing soul winner. Uh, somebody introduced you to Jesus. So now, what is the, the movie says? Pay it forward. Now you return the favor to somebody else. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could die and go to heaven and have dozens or even hundreds of people around us there and that would come up to us and say, you know what, thank you, Hope, for introducing me to Jesus Christ. You know, you were out there walking and you told me about Jesus and I prayed with you that day and because of that I'm here today. And I mean, put, put your name in there. Wouldn't it be cool if we could all bring dozens and hundreds of people to heaven with us because we took the time to share the message. So that's what it means to be a disciple. And now here in Luke chapter 14, Jesus goes on and talks about counting the cost. He talks about a guy building a tower. Aren't you going to first sit down and figure out if you've got enough money, not only to start the project, but to finish? We've got a highway here in Green Bay, or not in Green Bay, but somewhere in Wisconsin called the Highway to Nowhere, I guess. So that's really not what we want to be as a disciple, you know, sit down and, and then not be able to, to finish. We want to count the cost and be able to finish what we started. And we're going to talk about perseverance here today as well. And then Jesus talks about this guy who uh, was going to go to war with another king. He sits down first and he says, all right, I'm going to count the cost here. I don't want to engage in a battle and then not have the, the wherewithal to complete the battle and really win. And then he gets to our text here in verse 33. When it says, uh, in the same way, Luke 14, 33, in the same way, so that refers to something that he he previously just said. You've heard the old uh, axiom, a text without a context is a pretext. So we always want to understand the context of, of the Word of God in order to really get its meaning. So that's the context, and now here's the text. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Oh my goodness. You know, first of all, put Jesus in front of all relationships. Number two, carry your cross, be a crusade. If that's not hard enough, now here, the third descriptor of what a disciple looks like in verse 33, Jesus says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Can you imagine? That's right, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. I have it in my notes, but I don't even read that for some reason. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to read the Bible here, several passages, and we'd love for you to take that. If you want to take it home with you, you can do that. In fact, you can take it home and give it away to somebody else. That'd be a cool thing to do. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. We talked also about uh, the five fingers, you know, how we are stamped with the image of God, and then because of this spiritual DNA that we have, we have a hunger for the Bible and prayer and worship and fellowship and witness. Remember those things? I like to repeat, they say repetition is the key to learning. So since we've been stamped with the image of God, we, we cry out for, we crave, in the deepest part of us, we crave the Bible. We, we crave prayer. We crave 
worship and to understand what that means and fellowship, learning from other believers, and then to share our faith. These are the five pillars of successful, victorious Christian living. And so here today, the first point is really the worship part. Bible, we'll get to that in a minute. Prayer, we'll get to that next week. Worship, that's what we're talking about now in verse 33. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. And of course, this has stewardship and and financial implications as well that, that touch us on a very deep level. But I say it's worship because the very first instance in the Bible where the word worship is used has to do with Abraham taking his son Isaac to Mount Moriah and offering him there as a sacrifice. That was a bit of a test that the Lord was putting Abraham through, and later he provided that ram in the bush, and, and Isaac was, uh, was freed. But Abraham said, we're going to go to Mount Moriah, and there we will worship. Worship has to do with, with the death to what is being offered. So worship is not just singing songs, although we have wonderful praise band here and, and enjoy the songs. Worship is so much more than that. Worship is saying, Lord... I am yours. I want to offer myself to you. And I think that's a clue to what Jesus meant when he said here in verse 33, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. It speaks to us about offering ourselves to God. In fact, here's a great phrase. It means ordering your life so that God can spend you. That's what giving up everything you have means. Ordering your life so God can spend you. Now, how do we interpret this verse? This is, this is a hard saying, giving up everything I have in order to be a disciple. Well, there are times when, when the Lord literally tells us to sell everything we have. Uh, I think of Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Here's, here's a guy in Mark chapter 10 who came up to Jesus and he said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And, and, and he, had, he had some things going for him. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. Now, now that's a pretty good place to be at in life. I mean, to be rich and to be young and to be a ruler all at the same time. This guy had something to give. And he said to Jesus, what, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, sell everything you have and give to the poor. Jesus put his finger right on the man's soul and saw what this man needed to do in order to really follow Jesus. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Well, he went away sad. He had great wealth, and he couldn't do that. And there are times where God will speak to us about giving up a, a certain possession, about selling a certain possession in order to fund the, the, the missionary that comes or in order to fund the church project. And, and that's part of what it means to be a disciple is to recognize that God owns everything. He's the owner of all, and that puts me in the position of being the manager and not the owner. So in order to full, fulfill verse 33, we've got to transfer ownership of our stuff, of our bank account, of our checking account, of our savings account, of our IRA, of our house, our cars, our boats, all our stuff. We've got to transfer ownership from ourself over to Jesus. Now, that may not look a whole lot different on paper, but in your heart, there's a huge difference. Are you the owner or are you the manager? Uh, I was clearly made aware of the difference of that as a 11 or 12-year-old. I would go into the 41 truck stop where my dad was the manager over on Main Street in De Pere. Now it's a festival grocery store. 
But I would go in there once in a while on a Saturday morning with him to count the money that had come into the cash register throughout the week. And it was uh, a truck stop. Uh, truckers would come in there and have a dozen eggs and a loaf of bread and a pound of bacon. And then they would start with breakfast after that. So there was usually quite a large pile of cash on his desk. And we were counting the 10s and the 20s. And I remember getting so excited saying to my dad, I said, with all of our money here, I could buy a new basketball or I could buy a new football. And I had all kinds of dreams of what was going to happen with our money. And he said, Gary, this is not my money. He said, I'm the manager. He said, Dick Tealot is the owner. And I can only do with this money what Dick Tealot tells me to do. And even as a 12-year-old, I was painfully aware of the difference between an owner and a manager. And that's what the Lord says to us today. He says, you are the steward, is the old King James word. You're the manager. I'm the owner. You can only do with your stuff what I tell you you can do. And there's a huge difference in the life of a disciple. Do I hold it in my heart or do I hold it in my hand? If it's in our hand, it's available. It's, it's, it's uh, usable by the Lord. And, you know, from time to time, I think the Lord would have us to do something radical in order to truly demonstrate our love for him. Maybe sell something. Maybe give hilariously. I believe in tithing. I think that's all important. Tithing is kind of like the training wheels, if you will, of the spiritual life. And God does want us to give 10%, but there's, there's realms of discipleship and giving beyond the tithe that I think uh, many of us need to yet experience. And that is this realm, what I like to call hilarious giving. You know, uh, in my role with Campus Crusade, oftentimes I meet with people and uh, challenge them to get involved in uh, missions projects. And I met with a couple out in California a month ago. And uh, as I presented the need for uh, military ministry and reaching our soldiers and sailors and, and uh, all five branches, the, the, the wife, Janet, she said something that, I don't know, I just love to hear and really impressed me. And she says, Gary, we love to give. Isn't that awesome? I mean, rather than, oh, man, again, you know, or this is hard, this is just a pain. And she said, we love to give. And I thought, how much like Jesus is that? What, what, that's what a disciple says. I love to give. That's what it means to surrender everything and follow him. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were at the home of, uh, actually, Kabir, Bajra Biyamil. I think many of you know him. And uh, that was because of Ron and Amy Lefebvre, Gary's brother, Gary's little brother, having a, a bit of a send-off, a preliminary send-off. And I was so impressed with the commitment that Ron and Amy are making. I mean, here they are, kind of in the prime of their life, 55, I think Ron is, and uh, had a child who got married yesterday, I believe, and grandkids, and all that to look forward to. Live in great city of Green Bay, comfortable, and thriving ministry and you know everything is comfortable and cushy and here they are going to vietnam as missionaries i mean of all the places in the world vietnam and uh, I, I think that it's uh, not a coincidence that god has has gifted ron with counseling and, and soothing souls and here he's entrusting ron with vietnam a country that is torn in two with with gut-wrenching soul-wrenching issues and um, that is what disciples do. Every once in a while, we make radical decisions. We're going to sell out for him. 
I'm going to go across the street and invite my neighbors over for dinner. And in the course of dinner, I'm going to tell them what Jesus Christ means to me. That's what disciples do. Sometimes it's not a matter of going across the world. It's a matter of going across the street. You know? We have people that will drive for hundreds of miles when there's some kind of a big healing crusade going on, but they won't walk across the street to tell their neighbor about Jesus. And I say, Lord, help me to live a radical discipleship lifestyle. So God's the owner of all. I'm a manager. I'm not an owner. And then the third point along these lines is I've been blessed in order to be a blessing. Now, if we really get a hold of these three principles right here, this will change your life. I mean, you'll leave this church different than when you came in. If you realize I'm going to transfer ownership of all my stuff, my accounts, my, my possessions, I'm going to transfer ownership over to him, number one. Number two, I'm the manager. I'm not the owner. And number three, I have been blessed in order to be a blessing. My life is all about being a blessing to the nations. Like Genesis 12, God came to Abraham and said, as many grains of sand as there are on the seashore, as many stars as there are in the heaven, so shall your descendants be. God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you with descendants so numerous you can't count them. And the reason that I'm blessing you so much is so that you can be a blessing to the nations. There's our job description right there. You want to know what the will of God is for you? I, I can tell you. It's right there. Being a blessing to the nations. <laughs> That'll invite great blessing into your own life. In fact, whoever blesses you, I will bless. God said, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all nations on earth will be blessed through you. So sitting here this morning, we are really the wealthiest people on earth. Many of you know that I spent uh, 10 years in Madagascar, and that's a very poor country. And if you've traveled outside the United States, you know that uh, we are a very, very blessed people. Did you know that if you can walk into a room like you did this morning and flip on a switch and the lights come on, or if you can turn a faucet and water comes out, you are in the top 20% of the wealthiest people on earth. Just doing that alone. If, you, if your household income is $50,000, you are among the top 10% of the world's wealthiest people. Did you realize that? If, you, if your household income is $75,000, you're in the top 3% of the wealthiest people this world has ever known. Think about it. We are so blessed. And why? So that we can be a blessing. I mean, hey, I love the creature comforts as much as anybody else. But I want to hold them in my hand and not in my heart. And I want to be a hilarious, generous giver. If God says, sell this or give that or let's go beyond the tithe, I don't want to hold that back. I want to say, Lord, here am I, send me. To whom much has been given, much is required. So along with our spending, uh, all, along with our giving, rather, all of our spending is, in fact, a stewardship decision as well. It's a, a sign of our discipleship. Not only what we give, but how we spend as well. Whether it's buying a house or buying a hamburger. It's all about stewardship. It's all about, Lord, you're the owner. And I don't want to spend one dime that's not in the will of God. I don't want to spend one dime that's not good stewardship. I love what uh, Dave Ramsey says. Maybe you've heard of him. I, we're going to have Financial Peace University here shortly. I see the boxes in Mary's office, and we, we've been through that. And I love that. He talks about getting out of debt. He talks about living within your means. In fact, he says, act your wage. You know, not like act your age, but act your wage. 
And what, what's the reason for it all? The whole motivation behind living on a budget and acting your wage is so you can be a great giver. That's the ultimate bottom line. If you're familiar with Ramsey's baby steps, baby step number seven is build wealth and give. Isn't that great? That's what it's all about. Not creating greater and greater barns for myself, but being a hilarious, generous giver. Have you ever thought of yourself as being a hilarious giver before? Isn't that a great phrase? I love that. I, Lord, I just, I just want to give everything I have for you. In this uh, political season, we hear uh, politicians talking to us about the American dream, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. Both sides are, are promising, we're going to restore the American dream. And you hear that's the theme of, of all the political speeches these days. The American dream, that was a phrase coined by James Adams in 1931. And it means we can have anything we want. You're an American, by golly. You should be able to have anything you want, do anything you set your minds to accomplish, earn any degree, start any business, climb any ladder, attain any prize, achieve any goal. Because you're an American. That's the American dream. The dangerous assumption is that we unknowingly accept that the American dream is that our greatest asset is our own ability. You see the difference there? Oh, we can do anything, we can achieve anything, we can go anywhere in our own ability. But the gospel has different priorities. The gospel, as we've seen, beckons us to die to ourself and to trust in his power. Like Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Is that true in our life? Do we wake up in the morning and act like there's no God? We start our day without even giving God a thought. We start our day without having a time in, in, in the Word of God and in prayer. A, a prayerless day is saying, God, I don't even think you exist. You know, even coming to church is an admission that we need God. You've come into the doors of this church today, and that is saying, Lord, I need you. My life is incomplete. Just by showing up in church today, you've said, God, I need you. And that's what we want to say every day. Lord, I need you. I can't make it through this day without you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. The goal of the American dream is to make much of us. The goal of the gospel is to make much of God. Kingdom values trump national identity every time. I am first a Christian. I am secondly an American. So the three key points to Luke 14, 33. Number one, God's the owner of all. Transfer ownership to him. Number two, I'm a manager. I'm not an owner. Big difference. Number three, I've been blessed in order to be a blessing. To be a hilarious, generous giver to the work of God is stamped into your spiritual DNA. You can try to run from it, but you will be miserable. The only way to be successful, victorious Christian is to give up everything you have in order to be his disciple. So that's number three. Finally, we're moving on to John. <laughs> the fourth mark of a disciple. John chapter 8, verse 31. If you have your Bible and want to turn there, we've made a transition now from the three in Luke. Now we're going to look over to John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus was talking to a group of uh, Jewish people there, and he said in John 8, 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. I could read that in one of two ways. I could say, 
if you hold on, if you persevere in, if you continue in my teaching, you're really my disciples. Or we could read it by saying, if you hold on to my teaching, you're really my disciples. What this verse is trying to say is that we're in this thing not for a 100-meter dash, but for a marathon. We don't want to necessarily be like Usain Bolt, who runs 100 meters and then falls down on the, on the end of the track. I mean, he runs faster than any human alive has ever run. I'll give him that. But it's only 100 meters, and he falls down, and that's it. I would rather be like those marathoners that are running the long haul. I mean, it seems like forever. I mean, they're running as fast as, uh, they do it 26 miles faster than I could even do one mile. You know, the pace, I should say. Uh, it's incredible, but but they're in it for the long haul. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And I would encourage you to look at your spiritual life like a marathon. You're in it for the long haul. How many people know others who started off strong in their spiritual life? And now they've shipwrecked their faith. They've, they've abandoned their faith. It's crashed against the rocks. And I, I read about uh, a famous evangelist back in the 1930s named A.A. A. Allen. And he would preach to great crowds all over America and uh, brought thousands of people into the kingdom of God. And then slowly, little by, it usually doesn't happen overnight, right? It's a slow process of drifting away. And he ended up an alcoholic and living on the streets. He died a bum on the streets. And here, some years prior, five, ten years prior, he was preaching and bringing people into the kingdom of God. Why? because he got away from the word. We allow bitterness and anger and unforgiveness into our soul, and it rots us, and it pulls us away from the word of God. And pretty soon we find ourselves shipwrecked. I don't want to be like that. I don't want you to be like that. Let's persevere in the word. That's the fourth mark of a disciple. There's a great descriptor in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. If you'll turn there with me in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47, this describes what I would consider to be an awesome church. This would be a great model for us here at Life Church to follow. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It wasn't just dabbling in it. They devoted themselves to it. You see that? We're, we're serious students of the Word of God here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. There again, that's that generosity. That's that giving up everything I have to be a disciple. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their home and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why did they have such a, a church like that? Because they persevered in the Word. Because they persevered, they had fellowship marked with miracles, with generosity, with joy. Daily people were being saved. I want to be a part of a church like that, don't you? <laughs> a couple other verses related to perseverance. First Timothy says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I want to make a strong case here this morning for being a serious student of the Word of God. It's not just reserved for the pastors or the theologians. If you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, if you'll 
take a step further with me and say, yes, I want to be a disciple, we are called, it's stamped onto our spiritual DNA. Remember Bible, prayer, worship, fellowship, witness, the five fingers? It's stamped into your spiritual DNA to be an expert in the Word of God, to be a serious student of the Word of God. And I want to encourage you, if your approach is more like to, you know, open it up with your eyes closed and say, oh, okay, well, that's where I'll read, and, you know, read a couple verses there, and then the next morning you know, wake up and dust off your, your, uh, your face, you know, and get the sleep out of your eyes and open up the Bible wherever it happens to open, now I'll read a verse or two there. You will not become a, a serious student of the Word of God through that approach. There are so many great things out there. The one-year Bible online, if you've got access to the Internet, it's a great approach. It shows you what section to read. Or what I'm looking at right here on this iPad is called the version. It's a free 15 or 18 different translations, and you can do a word search right there. It's a phenomenal tool, and it's free if you've got access to the Internet. There's probably two dozen through the Bible in a year reading plans. And I want to encourage you to really consider becoming a serious student of the Bible. You, you wouldn't be able to survive if you just woke up on Saturday morning and said, I'm going to have a half a piece of bread today. And that's all you ate until the following Saturday. You would be malnourished. I think you'd probably end up dying. And yet spiritually, that's how we exist. So many of us, 95% of Christians will say, well, I'm going to go to church and listen to the preaching, and, and then we don't even think about the Bible until the very next Sunday. Or if we think about it, it might just be a fleeting thought. You will die spiritually if that's your approach. And I want to encourage you to become a serious student of the Word of God. I had a pastor uh, when I was in Bible college who challenged me with something. He said, get out a tape recorder. Today we can use our cell phone. Get out your cell phone and put the record thing on and, and, and explain to yourself with the recording going, the doctrine of salvation. Or explain to yourself what the Bible means by justification or redemption or grace or uh, forgiveness. Just take a minute or two and in your own words, explain your understanding of these things. I think many of us would find ourselves unable to really do that in a biblically literate way. And I want to challenge you not to be a biblical illiterate, but to say, I'm going to persevere in Jesus' teaching in order to be a disciple. You cannot live on one morsel of bread per week. You will, you will spiritually starve yourself. Martin Luther, you know, you start reading Martin Luther quotes, and he had all kinds of funny things to say about a variety of subjects, but he had a lot of great things to say about the Word of God. He says, the soul can do without everything except the Word of God without which none at all of its wants are provided for. I can do without everything except God's Word. But if I don't have God's Word, nothing else really satisfies. I can't find it in relationships. I can't find it in my work. I, I, I just can't find satisfaction. Now, that's an old song too, right? Ain't got no satisfaction. Except when you got the Word of God, then that feeds your soul. And then pretty soon everything else becomes kind of satisfying as well. You know, uh, Psalm 119 talks all about the Word. David was called a man after God's own heart. And in Psalm 119, there are some beautiful descriptions of what the Word of God will do. If we eat the Word of God, if we persevere, if we make it our priority to become an expert in the Word of God, here's what David says will happen. Verse 2 says, Joyful are those who obey his laws. Verse 9 and 11 says, How can a young man 
or young person, stay on the path of purity by living according to your word. You know, this talks about scripture memorization. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Not only reading the word, but memorizing the word. Do you, are you in the habit of memorizing? Have you ever memorized scripture? I would encourage you to make that a part of your daily spiritual discipline. There was a group called the Navigators years ago that emphasized scripture memorization. And we've lost that art in the church today. And I mean, I love praise and worship music and skill. It's, it's all great. But in order to really grow, we've got to get back to the basics of blocking and tackling. This is a football. Scripture memorization will hold you in the Lord when everything else is shaken around you. What, what did Jesus do when he was tempted by the devil in Luke chapter 4? He quoted the word. He said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. Even Jesus, I mean, he's the son of God himself. He's the word incarnate. And yet to fend off temptation, he quoted the word of God because he had it hidden in his heart. David says in verse 16, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Do you ever think about delighting in the word of God? You know, I mean, I think about delighting. I think about delighting in cheesecake or even last night at the, at the Rock Lakes thing, I stood in line a half hour to get a piece of pizza. And the smell was coming, and I hadn't eaten much all day. I was working in the yard. And finally, I got up to the counter. I mean, I was right there, had my money in the hand. And the lady said, oh, sorry, Franklin Graham is speaking now, so we can't sell any more food. You know? I was about ready to reach over to that lady and strangle her. But uh, <laughs> thankfully, the Lord helped me to avoid that. But I was, I was already delighting in that pizza. <laughs> and uh, I think, Lord, help me to have a delight for your word in that same way. Like I hunger for food. You know? Give me a hunger for your word because without it, I will die spiritually. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. I want to say something else. I know that steps on some toes here, but you know, we're tired and, and we're, we're, we're just weary sometimes. And what's our, our, our instant reaction? I think I'm going to watch a movie. I think I'm going to turn the TV on. I mean, I like watching television, especially football, as much as anybody. But I have found that TV is not refreshing. Will you accept this word? If you're tired and weary and beat down, instead of turning on the television, just try it. Pull out your Bible. Get down on your knees and say, Lord, refresh my soul. I'm tired. I'm weary. Television is not refreshing but reading the Word of God is. You'll find your strength renewed like the eagles if you'll take that. David said, remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. True hope is found in the Word of God. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies in verse 98. And verse 105 says, the Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you want to know what God's will is, read the Word of God. 95% of the will of God for your life is revealed to you in his will. All the other minor stuff he'll show you as you're riding. It's, it's, it's almost like riding a bike. You know, once you get on a bike, it's pretty easy to steer it. But if you're just standing next to a bike, or if you're standing still, better yet, if you're standing still with your feet on the pedals, what, you're going to fall over. So you, you really can't go anywhere. But if you want to know God's will, get in the word of God, and as he's steering you, he will guide you along the way. No wonder David was called a man after God's own heart. I want to share with you as we finish here a challenge to become a systematic student of the Word of God. Uh, young people these days, 
because of the Hunger Games and the popularity of some of those kind of books. People, young people were carrying around the Hunger Games all over. And it's like, oh my goodness, you're reading the Hunger Games. Well, so am I. And they're talking about this. And I understand that many teenagers now have made a commitment, the 30-day challenge, to carry the Word of God with them for a month. Have you heard of that? The 30-day challenge? Wherever they go, grocery store, school, work, wherever, I'm carrying the Bible with me just like people carried the Hunger Games. Praise God for that. that is, that's called being a crusade right there. I want to finish with this challenge to our hearts. There was a, a Rwandan pastor who said, the, the, the persecutors said to him, either you recant of your faith or you will be executed tomorrow. So he sat in his prison cell and he wrote this as he contemplated his impending demise the next day. And I want to encourage the this to be the challenge to our heart here as we think about giving up everything we have, as we think about persevering in the Word of God, let's, let's agree that this is our, our anthem as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. Now you better buckle your seatbelt, we're just getting started here. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, positions, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by his presence, lean by, live by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven. My road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, and my mission is clear. Are you with me? We're not quite done yet. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, back up, let up, or shut up until I've preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he returns, give until I drop, preach until I'll know, and work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me this morning, please? Hallelujah. Let's lift our hearts. Let's lift our hands to Jesus and ask him once again to make us his disciple. Where we say, Lord, I give up everything. I transfer ownership of everything I have over to you. And, and do that in your heart. There's a huge transaction that'll take place right there. And let's say, Lord, I want to persevere in your word. That's, that's discipleship characteristic number four. Persevere in the word. Let's just ask the Lord to make us that. Ask the Lord in your heart to help you give up everything, like the song says. With everything.
and to persevere in his word. Amen.